you're in a banker or a hedge fund or an institution with a pension fund and you're looking for alternative investments in a high growth area, there's not many, you know, you have maybe cryptocurrency, sports betting and cannabis. You know, those are those are three. So if you're a banker, you're going to want to get into this space pretty quickly. So there's going to be a lot more local banking options for cannabis entrepreneurs. Welcome to another episode of the Cannabis Curious Podcast. This time I sit down with Scott Bierman of the Panther Group to talk about how cannabis business owners can vet investment opportunities. This is a really great conversation for any cannabis business owner considering taking on capital, no matter where you're at in your journey. Scott is a wealth of information and knowledge, and he has some great insights on where he thinks the cannabis industry is headed over the next few years. Whether you're considering investing in a cannabis business, if you're a cannabis business owner looking to take on capital, or if you're just someone interested in the cannabis industry, this is a great conversation for for you. As always, I really appreciate you listening and I hope you have a wonderful week. I'm really excited about today's guest, Scott Bierman. He is coming to us on a very interesting topic that I've been wanting to do a deep dive with somebody on, and I know he is going to be just the man to do it. So um, before we get into Scott's background today, just to kind of give you a sense of the conversation we're going to have is I am interested in talking to folks who are in the venture capital space about how cannabis business owners and operators vet investment opportunities. And Scott came to me through another connection in the cannabis industry. And based on his sort of experience, which you're going to hear about today, I think he is a great person for all of us to learn from. So Scott, the little bit that I do know about your background, just kind of based on our initial phone calls, is you sort of came from the Google AdWords um, world and mm-hmm. did really well in the political ad space and kind of had a, you know, a sort of success story there, sold a company and got kind of a whiff of cannabis towards the end of your career there. And mm-hmm. then moved into the cannabis space in about 2014 with starting sort of a business network um, for outside sales in California, because you saw a hole there, a gap. And then in 2017, joined the Panther Group, which is really where you're kind of focused on this investing aspect, um, still the digital marketing, as well as the consultancy around kind of structuring deals. So what I would love to do and what I do with all guests is just kind of anything you want to share on your background prior to getting into cannabis that will help us sort of understand you and your motivations. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, first, thanks for having me on, Ashley. Really appreciate it. Um, So, yeah, I I live in Philadelphia and um, I started my career in the jewelry business way back in the 90s. And I learned how to do AdWords to sell jewelry online. Um, and I really just took to the digital advertising became my thing. Wanted to just learn as much as I could about it and um, really enjoyed the last, you know, 15 years of just always being on it and trying to figure out what was coming next in the digital world. So um, the interesting thing about po- the politics was that I really focused after a while, I focused heavily on marijuana politics and where the space was headed. And so from the advertising I was doing, I started to see different states change their laws, and I was thinking ahead of what would happen two years from now. So every two years of an election cycle, we have a lot of changes that that come down, 
And so I started thinking two years ahead of where the laws would change next. And then I based a lot of my investment decisions on the politics of the day. So that's very, that's very fascinating. So you've been kind of following the cannabis legalization journey for a while across these, across the states. Yeah. And the fascinating thing is there's 35 or 36 different states now that have something and they're all different and they've all evolved at a much different pace. Mm -hmm. So I've, one thing that I've done very consistently is I've learned from the mature markets. And then I thought, you know, what will Michigan look like? It'll look somewhat like Colorado a couple of years from now, right? And and Washington State now looks like Oregon in terms of cannabis business. So what is needed when a new market comes on? And and being on from the East Coast now, I'm certainly focused on a lot of states around here, which are still in the very early stages of the cannabis evolution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the things that you're looking for when you're looking out two years? Well, certainly we're looking at what exists in the market today. So you have certain markets that have, you know, built up somewhat of their business in cannabis. And you think, well, what if the law changes? Where where can they go? And, you know, Michigan is a great example because you, you had medical for a, year, a number of years and then you've switched to adult use and everything has changed, and the numbers are amazing. So now, when you look at states like, I, I focus a lot on New Jersey, which has had a very slow medical program for about five or six years. There's only about 12 or 13 stores and growers in the whole state. They've just passed the law to go to adult use. So I'm thinking about two years from now, New Jersey's gonna look like Michigan, and the numbers are gonna be similar. And so we, you know, we look at like how the program is implemented. What do the regulations look like? Because, you know, you have the vote. The vote is just one step. The next is the, is the implementation and the timing of it. So that's another really important thing to look at is how long will it take for these markets to be re- relevant for the various businesses that we're operating in? Yeah, I think it's a really important point. I mean, there's <clears throat> usually a lot to celebrate at the point of legalization, but it takes a long time to move from cannabis is now legal to there is, you know, a retail marketplace that someone can walk into. Mm-hmm. And so and then and then much like what you're seeing here in Michigan, where there's like a medical supply chain that's fairly full. Um, and now we're working to do the same with adult use. So maybe a good place where I would like to just kind of back up first is what is the Panther Group and what motivated you to join the Panther Group? Sure. Um, So the Panther Opportunity Fund, which you mentioned, started in 2017 and we made 16 investments into cannabis companies. Our previous fund has about 15 or so and all told, we have 35 different investments in the cannabis space. So for a lot of these deals, we served on the board and we became, you know, important advisors and consultants to these companies. So last year, we decided to create the Panther Group, which really comprised of of three divisions. One is capital formation. So we raise money for our fund. We raise money in SPVs, uh, one deal at a time. But we also then do consulting and advisory work. That includes like joint ventures, strategic partnerships. Uh, we love to make introductions to different cannabis companies. And then the third part is digital marketing. 
So we've sort of evolved from a strictly a venture fund to more of a venture consulting group that does all three. Okay. And I have to imagine that's because you saw a need for that with some of the investment opportunities that you guys were vetting or... Almost everyone, Ashley, you know, like every it, it's it's a great question because getting money in, everyone needs funding. We know that. OK, what happens after the funding comes in? OK, well, we need more mark. We need more customers. We need a better CFO. We need to hire a sales team. You know, we need to um, do a strategic partnership with the right vendor, you know, make sure we're working with the right partners. And so as we started to consult with these companies, you know, we realized that our expertise and, and the knowledge base that we possess was really useful for many of these companies. So we decided to kind of push out and, and offer it out to outside of our portfolio. And the reaction we got was really strong. And we said, you know, a lot of people could use all three of these things, you know, especially on the growth stage. So. Part of our thing is like, we want to help. We're a venture consulting group that helps your company get to their next big event. So if you're a pre-revenue company, we help you get your initial funding. If you're a series seed round, we help you get to your A and B round. If you're past that, we help you get acquired or go public and realize your ultimate dream. And a lot of companies are along you know, that path now and then we can help them. Okay. Is that, that's like interesting. You'll kind of meet them at all parts of where they're at as a company. Yeah. And so are yeah. there ever any, I guess, as a cannabis business owner or um, someone with a cannabis business idea who is looking for investment, what are some of the things that the Panther Group is looking for when they're, yeah. when they're just even initially vetting someone before maybe getting too deep into what their particular product or service is? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of criteria. So the first thing that we look at is where and how they operate. You know, what space are they in? What vertical are they in in cannabis? Are they plant touching? Or are they not? Um, what cities and states are they operating in now? You know, what's the size of the company today? And, and so that's the starting point. And so then if we say, you know what, this is a really good idea. And, you know, we see a lot of growth ahead. Then we start to dig into all of the other details. Okay. And so certainly looking at the past financial performance is very important. Looking at the projections and seeing where they can head. And then that's where really we spend a lot of time. I want to just focus on this for a minute um, because it's a difficult thing for cannabis entrepreneurs to forecast sales. And, and it's also a tough thing to set a valuation for an early stage company. So a lot of it comes down to, you know, where can you be in two or three years from now versus where are you today? And a lot of, I, I've seen a lot of decks where, you know, the projections were just astronomical and unrealistic. And then I've seen some that were just not strong enough and they didn't, they sort of underestimated, you know, the size of the markets. So we look at like the company, how they would fit into the current market that they're operating in and project out a couple years as to where they, they might end mm -hmm. up. So that's kind of the basic in the, in the early stage. Mm -hmm. How would you, what advice would you give to folks putting together pitch decks on how to do more realistic financial projections since there is so much that's unknown? Yeah, I think there's, there's a couple things that we like to do. Number one is try and find comp. Try and find comps. We love to see, you know, some, who do you compare to? There's always, 
you know, every, every, every idea that comes in, there's already someone trying it, right? Or someone that's done it. So if you're opening a retail location in a limited license state, you can find people that have done that and see what is their company revenue look like and what is, you know, if they, you know, were sold recently, how much did they sell for and what the multiple was. So it's really good to find a company that does something similar to what you're trying to do and try and get in line with like what they do, right? Um, that's number one. Number two is sort of understanding, you know, not overdoing it really. I, I, I think that um, a lot of people sort of try and show big numbers so they can impress investors and the investors kind of look at them and like, that's not possible. Year two, you're gonna do 27 million. I don't think so, right? But so I would say try and be realistic, you know, be optimistic, but realistic is my, my general advice. Mm, that makes sense. I'm um, sorry, let me add one more thing, Ashley. Um, the other thing is too, call, talking to other venture, you know, other investors, right? And getting, before you actually put your plan out formally, talk to people in your world that have done this before and say, listen, I'm, I'm putting together uh, a deal. I'm thinking about a valuation of X. These are my sales. Like, do you think this valuation makes sense? and really get some advice from a seasoned professional before you actually put your info out. Oh, really good advice. Yeah. So what are the different ways that deals can be structured? Is Could we talk through maybe the different ways that a deal can be structured? Sure. So that how can cannabis business owners think about this as well? It's a very relevant question and things have changed recently in a good way. So, Previously, you know, in the past like five years or so, a lot of the deals were done with angel investors and cannabis VCs, which that's what we are. And so there's been a pretty small group of, of venture groups that have funded a lot of the companies that are popular in the space now. So that was one way. And it was equity investments from venture groups, mostly high net worth individuals, friends and family and, you know, the VC companies. Right. Now, though, there are more and more people coming in with debt financing. So coming in with senior secured uh, notes on real estate or on receivables. And so they attach to the, to the um, assets of the business and it's just a regular loan. OK, now the challenge in the last couple of years is that the rates for debt deals have been extremely high. And if you want, you know, you might pay 13, 14 percent on on a million dollar loan for a cannabis company. That's because traditional bankers cannot loan at regular at regular interest rates. They're not allowed to loan to cannabis companies. So the, the people that have the debt financing are private companies that are able to get very, very huge rates. Now, one thing that we're seeing now is a lot of recapitalization of debt financing where you may have borrowed a million dollars at 14% two years ago, now you can borrow, you know, 600000 at 6% and pay off the other loans. It's like paying off a higher credit card loan with a better credit card, you know. So that, that is actually becoming a lot more commonplace in the space today. Interesting. Is there, are there any other yeah. ways that you're seeing deals structured so far? Um, besides, like, suitcases full of cash? Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, that's, that's the way they used to be done. But... Um, yeah, you know, like we're starting to see Canadian firms come down and finance deals with stock 
um, and and you know cash and stock. So they they basically will come in and and um, convert into a public offering. So it's reverse takeovers into Canada. So you can get your company funded in that way and really get have a public offering and sell shares. Um, and then, you know, so that's available with Canadian companies. We've done that once or twice with some of our companies. Um, and that could be happening more in the U.S. in the coming years now. So going public is another way that some of these companies can cash, you know, can cash flow and bring in an equity partners. Um, we don't recommend going public in the early years. Some of them have gone public too early. Um, maybe MedMen is one example. Um, but Things, you know, are changing rapidly. And there's another big thing looming is the banking regulations are floating around Congress. And if they go through the way can the answer to your question will change a lot if that goes through the Senate and, and really get, you know, that, that'll change everything. Quickly. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is how you anticipate that changing some of what we're talking about. Well, so the politics, you know, of, of right now are so fascinating because you have a much different attitude in Washington towards cannabis, right? So you have a much better chance that the, these these bills, like the Safe Banking Bill, the Moore Act, they've been floating around for a couple of years and they've had somewhat bipartisan support, but now they have a much better chance of passing um, now that we've passed this election cycle. So I think that it's going to happen. And I think that there's a not many financial institutions that have just been waiting for this to get into this space. If you're if you're in a banker or a hedge fund or a institution with a pension fund and you're looking for alternative investments in a high growth area, there's not many. You know, you have maybe cryptocurrency, sports betting and cannabis. You know, those are those are three. So if you're a banker you're going to want to get into this space pretty quickly. So there's going to be a lot more local banking options for cannabis entrepreneurs. That's good to hear. Yeah. I kind of want to compare where a cannabis business might be at new, um, taking on capital for the first time versus maybe a little more mature and taking on capital for a second or third time. What are the considerations for those two sort of groups? I'm imagining there are different kind of considerations when you are looking yeah. at taking on additional money. Could we talk through the more sort of the newer group first and then the more sure. mature group second? Sure. So for the newer group, um, I think the key in the beginning is how long and how much capital it will take for you to really gain, you know, uh, market acceptance and really gain enough customer base to prove out your model. Okay. So everybody's got a, a model of, of they want to reach X amount of revenues in year one of your our new company, right? We're going to get to a million dollars in revenue. Well, okay, how many customers do we need to get to get there? And how long is it going to take us to build our product our, our, or our, our, you know, our service for the industry? And then how long will it take to get that many customers on board and keep them paying us, right? So that's that in the early stages of a brand new company, that's really what we want to see that a lot of thought has been put into because just having a really good idea is, is the first thing. So you have to have the, the idea has to be well thought out. So that's, that's sort of, you know, one-on-one, right? You have to know that what you're going to put out there, but you also have to have a clear indication of how you're going to gain market share. That's really important because, you know, you could have the best, you know, cannabis edible in the world, but unless you have, 
um, a bunch of stores carrying it, um, it's not going to sell anywhere. So you have to think about distribution and you have to think about your customer base in the really early going. Um, for new companies, you also have to have a pretty clear view on the competition. I think this is something that new folks sort of underestimate sometimes because they're so focused on what they're building and their dream and they just don't realize there's 15 other people that have the same dream. How are you going to get ahead of them? So really understanding who your competitors are today and will be tomorrow is a very important thing in the early stage. And so for the more mature bucket of like that more mature kind of group, cannabis businesses who might be thinking through second, third round. <clears throat> yeah. So I think it's for the set for the, the later stage companies, it's how do you, when, and do you, do you raise more money and how much, and what is your valuation? So I just want to get back one second to the early stage companies. The, and it's, this is important for both of them is how do you peg your valuation in the early going? Uh, do you raise money uh, on a convertible note? where you can change your valuation later um, and, and have a cap on it, or do you set a valuation in the beginning? Now that's the same, the same question comes for the later stage companies when you're going for your A round, you know, how much do you evaluate, how much do you evaluate your company at now? You know, is it based on a multiple on earnings or EBITDA? And, and so it's really important that you figure that out on your second raise you know, your, your later stage company. It's more important than the first one, right? The second thing is understanding what the exit opportunity might be. So when you're in a later stage and you're looking to, to sell this deal to investors, they're going to want to know what their rate of return will be and when it might happen. So it's really good to have that in, in mind and have a clear view on, okay, we're going to raise at a 25 million valuation in 2021 and then by 2023 we're going to position for an exit at you know four times what we bought in at something like that so having that vision of the ultimate exit is actually super important on the later stage okay interesting and do you ever take on companies in your portfolio that do not have an exit plan um we we We'll take them on and then we'll convince them to have an exit plan while we're taking them on. Is there, is there yes. a reason for that? Is that because of how it changes how they do business currently? I think it's more it's more from the investor side. Um, I, you know, the investors want to know that, you know, we want to be able to say you're going to get your money out in a certain amount of time and you're going to make X amount on it. And it's going to be better than putting it in the stock market. Right. Or, or like a public offering. Right. So that's kind of where we, we want to position it. Um, and this space moves so quickly that these things happen in record time where exits like come up quicker than you think. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. So then another question I have for you is your business owners might be vetting these opportunities, considering taking on money to help them meet whatever their specific goal is. But now there's also going to be personalities in the mix and there yeah. might be I know there's different ways that you can kind of structure these relationships when you're also taking on money. So maybe could we talk through that a little bit too? Yeah, uh, this is actually the most important point, Ashley, like, and, and, and something that I personally focus on more than, more than the numbers. Sometimes I have some really great partners that are, that are accountants that look at the numbers, but the personalities are, are imp very important. It's like the old saying, you know, bet on the jockey, not the horse. Right. And so, 
Um, number one thing is, have they done something before? What have they done before? I really like to hear the background of these entrepreneurs. Do they have a proven track record of success? Doesn't, you know, if they, if they don't, it's okay, you know, but if they've done something before and they built a, another company and now they're getting into cannabis, that certainly is an, an advantage, right? Or even if they, you know, if they had a great career in, in uh, accounting and then they want to be a cannabis accountant, that's, you know, that's, that's something too. But so definitely having, you know, what does your past look like? And that's number one. Number two is what kind of personality does the person have and how, how do they get along with the stakeholders that are involved in the company, right? So you have shareholders, you have customers, you have vendors, and you have consumers, right? Well, customers and consumers. So like, how do you, you know, how can you relate? Does this person have the personality where they can charm an investor enough to write them a half a million dollar check? Can they handle customer service when someone has a complaint? Can they manage people of their own growth? So that's another big thing is the hiring. How well can they put a team around them? So we've met a lot of companies that are, um, you know, early stage that have one really, really great person. And then they have three part-time folks. I'm like, okay, you're going to raise money. Who's going to be your next high, your next four hires? How are you going to hire them? How much are you going to pay them? And how is that going to help you win in the long run? So it's not just, is the founder a great guy or gal? It's like, who can that person bring to realize the dream, to scale the company? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's something um, that I even recall a little bit from corporate days sometimes was that there would be a very like charismatic leader in an organization. And then in order to replace that person and keep the brand and things like that, it would be a challenge. And so I think it's an interesting point to sort of be making cannabis business owners be thinking about that really, really quickly because of how fast one, I'm assuming because of how fast things can move in this industry, but two, it like creates consistency, hopefully with your brand and what you're doing. Yeah. I, so, and I think it's, so one of the things that we also do is we like to talk to uh, our friends and check up on people. We check on people. Like if we're looking at a deal, we usually know someone that might be involved and we're like, what do you, you know, how has your experience been with this company? And they say, you know what? The founder's been great. They've hit all their metrics. We love what they're doing. You know, that's a, that's a sign of um, credibility. So checking, you know, people out is important. Checking their LinkedIn, you know, and looking them up on social media, you know, even and seeing like what kind of following does the company have? And, you know, are they popular and getting a lot of engagement? So there's a lot of factors to the personality. I just want to add one other thing because cannabis is so unique. In that, you know, you really do need to understand the plant and 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 what it does for people, and you under, need to understand the business side of it, right? So we've 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 come across a lot of entrepreneurs that are coming from some other vertical, and they think they're going to just turn and, and sell to cannabis people, right? And it's like you got to like know you you know if you want to walk into a dispensary and sell them something, you really got to know. You know, be able to talk to a bud tender about weed, you know, and be able to understand if you could walk into a, go, a grow operation, really understand what's happening. It's, it's there's a lot to learn. So but you also at the same time can't be a complete, you know, just completely into weed and not really into finance. And <laughs> we've had those situations. too. you have to understand 
finance and and people skills and you know building a corporation really building a real company along with being able to relate to the weed professionals at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it's a really fair point. I think no matter what end of the spectrum you're on, like the prior business experience or the plant experience, it's a hum- it's humbling no matter what once you get in the industry. Yeah. Because you do need you really do need both to be successful and there's just there's a lot to learn. So Yeah, there's a lot to learn and there's also a lot of people, there's a lot of interesting people, you know. <laughs> And um, I mean, I'm, I'd say eight times out of 10, I'm super impressed with the people that I talk to because there's a lot of smart people entering this space. Um, sometimes there's people that are just, you know, having fun, you know, they love weed and they, they're into this, this space and that's great. And I like, I'll hang out with them, you know, but um, I don't know if I'll invest with them. So that's kind of where we look at it. Like, do they have both sides of it covered? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a really good point. What are, so in, in, in the Panther Group's experience, what have been some of the, like, from your perspective, some of the more successful partnerships that you've had, what's made them that way? Well, um, I would say leadership, you know, um, and certainly we've learned during the pandemic um, that a lot of our companies went through very tough times. And we've had, you know, we're very proud of some, I'm very proud of some of these guys that, that they really came through. And they led their company, you know, they cut payroll if they had to, they cut expenses because, you know, the pandemic messed things up and they've managed through this thing. And they've also positioned themselves for future growth. So I'd say the most successful ones are the ones that have had a really great idea and were forward thinking. So they saw where the, the market was going and they created a business that was good now, but it'll be great in a year from now. Right. And one quick example is a telehealth platform that we invested in about two years ago, and they were doing really well before this happened. And now, you know, the pandemic has hit and, and telehealth has exploded. It was already on the uptrend. And so they're kind of riding that wave of, you know, the, the market where it's a trend. Right. Um, and so there's a lot of other examples of that where, you know, the, the analytics side of the space, we knew early on that analytics would play a big deal and data would play a big deal in this space. So, you know, we look for a company that was ahead of the game in that side of it. So thinking ahead of where this industry is going has been some of our biggest successes. Mm -hmm. And what states are you most excited about? Hmm, That is a really good question. Um, Well, uh, like just, you know, selfishly, I'm excited about New Jersey, New York and Pennsylvania because I live in Philly. And we've been waiting for years and there's 25 million people in the tri-state area and zero have access to adult use cannabis today. And that will change in two years where all of them will. That's a huge market, right? And you also have the other East Coast states. You have Massachusetts, Vermont, and Maine now are adult use. So you're going to have pretty soon Connecticut. And um, now you also have Virginia going adult use. So you have the entire Eastern, you know, seaboard really that's coming on. So that, that gets me very excited. Um, I think Florida is a market I'm, I'm focused on because the medical market is just so great there. And eventually they'll, they'll get the adult use figured out. Um, but it, you know, if I really had to focus, I mean, New Jersey has really uh, been in my sights for many years now and we're almost there. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. It's very exciting what's happening over there on the East Coast. It's a yeah. lot of movement that's 
um, been promised for many years. I know I was paying close attention to it for a while and a lot of starts and stops. So, well, we, we, you know, we take the long view and this is another, you know, piece of advice for investors and companies looking for funding is like, take the long view, right? You know, um, figure out where this space is going. And, and one of the best ways to do it is go to adult use markets and see what's happening and then go back to your, you know, I spoke to someone in Louisville, Kentucky, and I said, you know, you're not, you don't have much going on now, but three years from now, Kentucky will have what Virginia is doing or whatever, right? So you try and think about it that way, back to politics, <laughs> which I do. Um, but, you know, it's, it's happening very quickly. And the one thing I'll say, too, is that the rate of change is, is just lightning compared to where it used to be, right? Since Election Day, Election Day, we had like five states that legalized adult use. And since then, we've had like four more. Wow. You know, um, by ballot, by uh, legislature. So, you know, the rate of change is happening so quickly that the the pace of of these markets coming online is going to go very quickly. Yeah, yeah. So, what do you see happening with federal legalization? I don't see it happening um, right anytime soon. I don't, but I do see. I see by the. I think it's going to take at least one, or mostly, most likely two election cycles. So after the 24 cycle, I think we might see a lot more movement towards federal. However, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an optimist when it comes to politics. And one thing I've learned is that things take a long time and then they take a short time, mm -hmm. right? So we've been trying to legalize cannabis for 25 years since California first started. And there's still some states that don't have anything. But as I mentioned, you know, things have compressed into a much shorter time frame. And what you need is you really need Congress to turn over more, right? So every two years, Congress has changed and the cannabis laws have advanced. So we need another 20, you know, the 2022 midterms and then the 24 presidential cycle. We're now going to rotate out older politicians, have younger ones that come in. There'll be cannabis in a lot more states. And so it'll be a lot easier to get the federal done in that time mm -hmm. frame. Mm -hmm. I like that. I'm I, I kind of like the state of the state model like you do. So I'm kind of comfortable with the feds being a little far yeah. away right now. I, the the access to banking, obviously yeah. 280E with taxes is really rough. Um, but the state of the state model is really fun. <laughs> so. It's it, you're right. And it offers you, you know, I've I've actually, you know, it offers unique opportunities. And I always like draw the comparison to the uh, alcohol industry, which basically became legal overnight everywhere. Every, you know, the whole country legalized alcohol, you know, in the 30s. And then by the 40s and 50s, there was, you know, it was fully developed all over the place. Right. But because we've gone state by state, um, if you really, you know, if you really figure out what's going on in Oregon and Washington, then, you know, you come back to Michigan you're going to be able to do a lot more, right? You're going to know where Michigan is headed because ultimately these markets all look very similar. So the state by state has offered you opportunities. You know, I, I'd like to see it federally legal for other reasons quicker. Um, one that I'd like to highlight is uh, social justice and, and just righting wrongs, right? This is the dumbest law that we've had on the books. There's a lot of dumb laws in this country. I love my country, but... We don't, you know, we didn't get it all right. And when we outlawed cannabis in 1970 and started locking people up, 
the majority, which were minorities too. That's really wrong. And we need to, we need to fix that. And it's only, that's going to be the federal government that needs to fix that once and for all. And so it's important. And also just providing the access to medicine. Like it's just mind boggling to me now that if you're a sick patient and you can, you know, you live in California, you can get cannabis or, you know, some medical only state, whatever you can get cannabis for 25 different ailments. But if you're not, you can get arrested for it today. And there's still people being arrested for cannabis. So we need to provide the access for the medicine. We need to get everyone out of jail that was ever locked up for weed and just, you know, move on already. Right. We have other things to deal with, you know, that are way more important. Let's just get the weed thing done. Yeah, (laughs) no, it is. It's a really, really important point about legalization. Yeah. What are you kind of most excited about, I guess, from maybe like a, what do you see in terms of what's the future of cannabis legalization beyond just how we're seeing the rules and the regulations evolve, but maybe, I don't know if there's anything product wise or are these ancillary support services around cannabis? Just, I mean, I'm, I, I, you know, my problem is that I'm excited about so, so many different sectors that like, you know, I'm excited for advertising opportunities. That's my background. and. I think the advertising space is going to be huge in cannabis. It's already getting big. And there's so many more advertising budgets out there for cannabis companies. So I think that's going to be, it's going to become a lot like regular CPG marketing, you know, with television commercials and, you know, sponsored ads everywhere, you know, billboards and everything. So the advertising space is very exciting, you know, but for me, it's also just comes down to, you know, um, really just getting wins across the board, right? So it doesn't, and, and if I sell one of our, if we sell one of our advertising companies, I'll be really happy. I like the lab testing space too. I'm very excited about the lab, the potential in lab testing mandated by the state. It's very under, there's under capacity in many places. So if you have a good lab operation, you're, you have mint money for the next 10 years, right? Um, so, and, I, and I, one other thing that I'll mention is uh, I really love the M&A opportunities that are coming down the pike every day now you read about a different cannabis merger and roll up so what i really am looking forward to is like the combinations that we can put together i love to put people together and make some magic happen you know where we have one company buy another and create a big big one (laughs) you know um so that's that's part of what i get excited about is how can we take this company in our portfolio and plug them into another company and really make some noise. That's interesting. You're going to definitely have some fun work cut out for you for quite a while. It sounds like you really enjoy what you do and it's not going away. <laughs> yeah. And, um, it's, I enjoy it very much. And I also really enjoy the people. I'm very grateful for the relationships that I've made. It's been about seven years now. And I, in the early days, I went to every conference I could go to. And I had a lot of fun. <laughs> You know, after the show was over, we had fun at night and we, you know, but I also just learned. um, Yeah. And and I just, you know, made a lot of friends and I just just ongoing, you know, like having these people in my life and helping them and them helping me and seeing them succeed. Like, I really like to see my friends succeed, you know, so I'm excited to see the companies. You know, I become very friendly with the people in our portfolio and I can't wait to see them cash out and reach their dream, you know, and and, then. my, you know, we'll make a few bucks along the way, but we'll, we'll see them 
go from here to here and, and make, make it happen. And that's very exciting. Yeah, it is. It is really exciting. I mean, you got, you're kind of like the, the shark tank of cannabis. And so you get to like help these people, like, you know, see them grow and realize their dreams too. Like it'd be really cool to do a before and after the Panther group with some of the folks in your portfolio. Yeah, we have a couple of really great stories um, uh, that, are, that have happened in the last couple of years, and we expect there'll be more, you know, more exits and more public offerings. And, you know, there's a lot of money to be made in a lot of different directions here. So, you know, it's it's definitely going to be an interesting couple of years ahead. Yeah. And yes, I am having fun every day. <laughs> so for just a, just an, a quick question here about cannabis um, business owners who are interested in finding potential money investors, how do they start that process beyond putting together the pitch deck? Maybe well, how do you, what do you do? You go to yeah. Google and you say, okay, I'm looking for, you know, potential investor for my, my business. Well, first of all, broadcasting your deal in, in a lot of different places. Okay. So sending it around to friends and family and saying, you know, first, you know, making, make a list of your own personal contacts in in the investing world or in the cannabis world and send the deal around right and say here's something i'm working on i'd love you to take a look at it or please send this to someone else you know so just you know send it out a lot right put it out there on your linkedin right linkedin and cannabis are going very well together so promote your business on linkedin and the fact that you have a deal and try and get people to contact you there that's another thing. Um, definitely the mm. trade shows, you know, before COVID, we really did most of our business at trade shows. You know, it's kind of interesting that now we've shifted to this, you know, every day and I can't wait to get back out and meet people in person, but soon that'll happen. And I, you know, I highly recommend going to these place show conferences and bringing, you know, your deal and just meeting people and saying, Hey, we're raising money for this project. You know, I used to just meet people at these conferences and say, hey, do you mind sitting down for 15 minutes? I want to show you this new project I'm working on. And then I'd, I'd be introduced to a brand new deal. So I, I think that's very important. And then finally, you know, there's online platforms where you can list your deals and you can get, you know, regular investors to come and look at it. So I would promote it online as much as I could. Feel free to contact me and I'll look at it. I love looking at these things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's awesome that's that's one heck of uh an offer we, i've looked at um so our panther group we've looked at about in, in the last four years about set six or seven hundred pitch decks wow and we've invested in seven, 16 companies so we do say no often but my philosophy is you know we learn something from every single deck we look at and we also understand how it might fit in as I mentioned earlier, look for the comps. Like, so where does this company position go? But so that's part of uh, another piece of advice is just look at other people's pitch decks before you, you know, start going on your road show and figuring out like what the market's looking at now. What to, to your earlier question, like what is the financing deals looking like in cannabis today? So before you fill out your finance slide, figure out what the rate is for debt deals and, and equity deals, things, things like that, and sort of understand the landscape. And that should help you with the investors. You're just like dropping a bunch of knowledge over here, left and right. So this is great. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate your questions. Yeah. They're very good.
Absolutely. So before we wrap up, one question I do have a little cheeky for you is what is something that money can't buy? <laughs> friends. Oh, okay. Like it's real friends, genuine, authentic friends. That's an easy answer, right? You have to be, you know, in this space, you have to be a nice person. And some people aren't. You have to be generous with your time and, and authentic and real. OK, I, I, I you know, there's a lot of people that aren't fully real. So I think that, you know, you, you could come around with big piles of money. But unless you're a genuine, authentic, cool person, I don't think you're going to make it that far in this space. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I believe that is a very important thing, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and certainly money fuels the dream. But people skills are what get you there. Right. So you could have all the money and funding in the world if you can't build a good team and make, you know, good partners and have friends in this space, then you're not going to make it in the long run. Mm -hmm. So, you know, being a good and real person is very important. That's amazing. That's an amazing yeah. answer. And it's like, the thing is, the interesting thing, Ashley, is that I believe the cannabis plant, like we've all been in situations where we're hanging out and we smoke something with somebody and now we're friends. And like, it, it it's a natural thing that brings people together anyway. Mm -hmm. I think that's why people um, are so drawn to this space because they have their personal experience with cannabis and it was a good one for the most part. You know, they, they hung out with their friends and they shared some weed or they met someone new or went to a concert or whatever. And so to me, that extends into the business meeting room, right? You know, I, I, I'm the same guy, whether I'm hanging out, talking about, you know, financing or I'm, I'm out back, you know, partaking with someone. It's just like, that's who we are. And the more that you can do that and be real about it, I think you can make a lot of friends in this space. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree. Yeah, I think that's a really amazing insight and an incredible answer to that question that I wasn't expecting. So I'm glad I asked. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, so what can folks expect from the Panther Group in 2021? Well, uh, certainly you can expect to see us in, in more places, both digitally and in person. So for when the major trade shows come up, you know, we're going to be certainly in Las Vegas. We're going to have a lot going on in October. So anybody that shows up there, um, feel free to look us up for the big MJ Biz Conference. And we have our own called MJ Unpacked that we're part of. So we're going to be there in October. Um, but in between now and then, we're going to be very active on LinkedIn, on our website. Uh, we're going to create our we're doing our own podcast soon at some point, I hope. Um, we love doing podcasts and we might we might put something out of ourselves. Um, we're going to try and be on Clubhouse soon. So just look for us on social media. Feel free to reach out and um, hopefully we'll, we'll have good information for you. White papers, deals, you know, general knowledge. That's awesome. That's awesome. And um, the website is the Panther Group. So Panther Group, the, the Panther Group dot co. Okay. Um, it's actually under construction, but it's getting there. Our original site is institutionalcannabis.com, and we're sort of rotating to the panthergroup.co. So we'll be putting a lot more up there, hopefully including this podcast. It'll be posted on our new website soon. Um, but, uh, yeah, keep an eye out for that as well. That's awesome. You got a lot of really exciting stuff on the horizon this year. So Thanks. Yeah, we're excited. Um, we have a nice team. We were very proud of the team we built. And um, now, if we, once we can get out of the house a little bit, we'll be uh, we'll move even faster. 
<laughs> I hear you. I think we're all ready to get out of the house and get back into, especially the conferences. I can't tell you how yes. many people I've heard that from. People are just ready for some face-to-face interaction. And Yeah, and things have changed. The world has changed. And now we're, we're all a little bit different, right? And um, But the good news is that the cannabis space has not slowed down. <laughs> During this this time, it's only accelerated. And once people are able to just go back out and shop in person and do everything they used to do, I think it'll go even faster. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's going to be a very exciting time. And there'll be more concerts and people, you know, there's going to be more of that, more fun activities and more cannabis along with that as well. So, hey, man, I'm ready know. for concerts. That's the thing I miss the Me most. Too. I'm not going to lie. Me too. Yeah, that is by far the thing I miss the most. Emma, I've missed my friends a lot, but miss seeing my friends at concerts. Yeah, yeah. I remember that being like the first three months of the pandemic. I was like, man, I really will never like I will appreciate live music so much more now. You know, <laughs> like know. the things that you just, like didn't completely soak in when you had the opportunity, you know, I think there's a lot of that. It's so true. Yeah. Where, you know, we really need to be thankful for everything, you know, and then you mentioned the conferences, just the human interaction, you know, just meeting someone new. I mean, I have a lot of meetings that are scheduled and I meet new people, but like, I like to just walk around a room and meet random people that I didn't expect to meet. You know, that's what's so much fun about being out on the road. Yeah, I agree. It, I, yeah, completely, completely. Even sometimes just like being yeah. in a crowded restaurant or something. I'm like, when have I ever wanted to be in a crowded, loud restaurant? But I would I would love that, right? Yeah. You know, just to hear I would love to have you and stuff. So. I can't wait to have a drink in a bar again. <laughs> it's coming. Imagine having a drink in a bar, and that might be fun. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be like, oh my gosh, you know? it'll. Oh my God, I'm in a bar, I'm getting a drink. <laughs> yeah, which will be cool. Like, yeah. like it, it definitely makes me appreciate a lot of things that I probably was not stopping to appreciate before, so... Yeah, that's great. Well, I hope to get to Michigan too one of these days. I think that's one of my stops for business. So yeah, I'd love. Yeah, if you make it here, let me know. I'm all over the place with SST. So yeah, love awesome. Love to meet up. Um, but thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And um, thank you for all the great advice. And I'm excited to keep up with the Panther Group. I really appreciate you inviting me, Ashley. This was a great conversation. Thank you very much.